Hello, everyone. I'm Danny Pellegrino. Welcome to Everything Iconic. Today on the show, I have a wonderful interview, if I do say so myself, with Jay Manuel, who, of course, many people remember from America's Next Top Model with Tyra Banks. Jay was the creative director in those early seasons. And let me tell you something, he spills a lot about the show. So hold on to your seats. Are people still saying hold on to your seats? We are now. (laughs) Uh, I think it's a great chat. He's also got a new book out next Tuesday called The Wig, The Bitch, and The Meltdown. Before I play our interview, which I also want to remind you, you can see our interview at the new YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Danny Pellegrino and the number one. You can go watch it, like, subscribe, comment, all that stuff. Uh, But before I play the audio of the interview here, I do want to mention one thing. We lost an icon uh, this past week. We lost the Reeds, Regis Philbin, and I loved him growing up, of course. Uh, when I was growing up, he was co-hosting live with Kathy Lee Gifford and then with Kelly Ripa, both Queens icons and legends. Uh, and he, of course, hosted Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, which was so big when I was in, like, I think middle school and high school. That show was everything. And he just had such a warm and fuzzy presence on TV. I don't know. I always felt like he felt like my grandpa and a, like a nice, a nice version of my grandpa, which you know, that's a tale for another time. But he was always so warm and cuddly. And I think on live, that's a really tough gig. And I don't know if many people know this, but those opening chats they do, uh, those aren't scripted. And so they're just going and riffing about their day and the night before. Uh, And it's hard to hold people's attention for that long every single day. I think it takes a lot. And he does it, he did it so flawlessly with with KLG and Kelly Ripa, who you guys know, I just worship them. So um, I just want to mention that I, I was upset about it. But you know, he gave us so much, and so we honor the Reach today. Oh, I also want to mention you can find me on social media at Danny Pellegrino on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want any of the Everything Iconic merch, just go to everythingiconic.store. Uh, so without further ado, please enjoy my chat with Jay Manuel uh, and check out his book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jay, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm I'm in a great mood. It's like storming today, but uh, but I'm in a good mood. <laughs> right now, I have so many questions for you. I'm so excited about the book. Um, but my very first question, I just need to dive right into this. I had sure. uh, I had seen online you've been doing a lot of Instagram lives and things like that, and you briefly told a story about Janice Dickinson falling asleep at the judges' table. Um, can you tell this story? <laughs> I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the Janice Dickinson and the judging table. That is a funny story. She did. It was during season one, I believe. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was definitely during season one. And um, what people don't realize is those judgings take a very, very, very long time to shoot. So um, we'd started early in the day and it was, you know, season one, everything takes longer. Uh, it went very long. Um, and I think at dinner, she might've had some wine. Um, and so when they were ready to, you know, we, that night we shot to like almost three in the morning. So when they wanted to shoot, uh, she was asleep and they said, Oh, let's just, just roll on a tighter shot till she wakes up kind of deal. So you guys shot on top model. You just (laughs) shot, shot around her while she was taking a little nap. I love that. We did that night. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. Now, Jay, what have you been up to during the quarantine and all of this stuff? Have you been, do you watch a lot of TV? Do you read a lot of books? Like, what are you up to? You know, honestly, um, I love movies actually even more than TVs, TV shows, but there are, there are several TV shows that I do enjoy 
enjoy um, just because of the, the story they tend to be on like a lot of the streaming um, platforms. Uh, this quarantine though, it, it was just kind of very crazy timing. My book was always supposed to announce in May and um, there's, you know, lots to do, you know, you know, final preparations and like marketing stuff and, and, you know, just all the, st- I, I did not know how much everyone says writing a book is a lot of work. That's actually the easier part. It's all the stuff that comes after. So I've been luckily um, very, very busy at home. Uh, and when I, I kind of need a break, uh, especially Fridays, I don't miss drag race. Cause it's like, that just brings me <laughs> kind of fun sure. in the week. Um, but yeah, I've been mostly just working on this stuff, um, doing the Instagram lives, trying to catch up with family and friends, uh, over like FaceTime and stuff like this and zoom. So I haven't had a lot of time to watch TV. Now, to be honest the, with you. the book, uh, Tell people a little bit about it. So it's a fictional. Uh, it's a fictional book. Tell people about it. Yeah. Well. Yeah. The, so the very definition of a novel is that it's fiction, uh, and it is. It is a complete work of fiction. Um, but you know, when when you write something like this, uh, you, we write what we know um, in terms of kind of our experiences. So it is inspired by my life in the industry uh, and my, my life on America's Next Top Model. Um, but for people who want to read this book, um, you don't have to have watched the show. Uh, even if you've never seen an episode, the book is perfect for that reader because I kind of set up the world. Uh, the show is called Model Muse within my book, um, the kind of the model competition show. And uh, so I set up that world before the main story even takes hold. And uh, I, I wanted this to be you know, I kind of set out to write something that had this metafictional kind of mechanism in place towards the end of the book in the last third, because I wanted readers to kind of, I wanted them to feel the lines being blurred and and breaking the fourth wall so that they're kind of thrust back out into their own world to kind of look at themselves and maybe see some of the kind of more important core themes that I had in the book. Because the book is a piece of satire. It's meant to be fun. Uh, but I, I, I had these themes that were very important to me, you know, from looking at like how the entertainment industry deals with abuse of power. Uh, how do we kind of uh, um, kind of find ways to kind of sh- you know equalize that balance in the workplace? To also looking at um, kind of how the industry deals with intersectionality and black women's identity and the cost of fame and all of that. So those are kind of like. That's the gravitas to the piece, but the the book is meant to be just fun and and laugh and clutch your pearls and kind of talk oh. at it from time to time. Right, <laughs> it's yeah. so fun and and you mentioned sort of the um, diving back into that world a little bit and and you mentioned your Instagram lives and I know you've been talking a lot about Top Model and that kind of thing. Has it been weird to go back in time a little bit and and think about some of the things that happened and your experiences there? Yeah, you know, so interestingly enough, you know, doing these kind of Jay's chats on Fridays on, on the Instagram Live uh, really was an idea that was kind of born, uh, you know, be- because when the quarantine started, people started binge watching, you know, these these nostalgic older shows. And there's a whole new audience experiencing America's Next Top Model for the first time. Side note, I cringe when I even look at some of that footage and what we're wearing and uh, it's so it's like this stuff's from 2003. Right. But, um, you know, there, there was just all this kind of 
hype. It became a big binge watch show on Amazon and Hulu. And so, you know, Miss J initially said to me, she's like, you know, everyone's asking me to do these lives. We should do a live and break down a, a, a season a week. And I said, sure. I thought it would be fun to kind of talk about it and relive it. And, and ironically, I'm reliving a little more of the experience of Top Model than when I was writing the book. Because I wrote the book over, you know, a few years. And the other thing, too, is those characters took on a life of their own. And it is fiction. So watching this now and talking about it is a bit surreal. Right. And you mentioned it being in the news, or it being sort of... Um people binge watching it again and it it has made news about some of the cringier moments um and i know you've addressed that a, a bit already but I, i'm curious um if you have any other thoughts or or response to some of the stuff that has come back up again specifically there was like a a, a blackface challenge and um there were some comments well it wasn't it wasn't, well, it it wasn't was called right. the blackface challenge so <laughs> forgive me shame. sorry right <laughs> yeah. right right uh, I know what you're talking about, right. though. Yeah, the, the the specifically, I think what people were looking at was in cycle uh, four, I believe, where we we were the, the the original creative for the shoot was like this supposed to be just like a got milk um, like shoot, and the girls originally the way it was written up, the girls were going to be holding you know crying babies, and and then there was kind of complications around trying to do that. So the girls ended up holding dolls and then there was this layer added to the shoot was saying that it would be a great opportunity for the girls to understand what it's like to be a different race. So they swapped races. I, and I have talked about it um, because it has come up. I was extremely uncomfortable at the time and there was a kind of shift in culture behind the scenes of the show. It was shifting quickly. The show had, really taken off. Um, and so I did go to my co-executive producer, who's who I felt the most comfortable with at the time and said, you know, I, I don't think I can represent on camera doing this shoot because, you know, I, I think I'm going to end up wearing this. I, I did not feel comfortable with that layer of creative. And I also did not feel comfortable kind of taking that further up in the chain to say, guys, we can't do this because other producers had stepped forward saying, we shouldn't do this. And they were shut down in a very big way. So of course that scared me to say anything. Uh, and my producer, the producer that I went to said, well, you've got to do the shoot. Don't worry. We'll edit it. You won't look bad. And, and I did call my parents, you know, my parents grew up in South Africa under apartheid. You know, I, I it was very difficult for me to kind of process what we were doing and what that meant in, within the history of this country. Uh, but it, it was not a place where I could speak up really at right. the time. Yeah. It was one, of, one of the things that's interesting about uh, the time that we're living in now and kind of going back and looking at so many of the, uh, the things from the past um, is that I think that people sometimes don't realize there's a lot of people making those decisions uh, on sets. It's not just one person and, mm-hmm. and not, uh, you had mentioned not feeling maybe empowered enough to speak up um, even more against it. And I, I think, um, I don't know, that's just something to take note of because I find that online, oftentimes people place the blame on one person and yeah, and, I don't know. Um, switching gears a bit. Do you have a favorite contestant? Oh gosh, that's so hard. I have so many, many favorites. And that's, that's the truth. You know, I spend so much time with the girls, like a photo shoot day could be 14, 15 hours. And then I obviously have makeovers and I, these challenges and stuff. So I spend so much time with them and I, 
there are girls that I connect with on a personal level who might not necessarily have, would have been the best model. And when I'm on the photo shoot, I'm always there to get everyone, make sure everyone has a good photo. But I've connected with so many of the, the girls. Um, it's so hard to choose a favorite. But if I'm going to go on just ability in terms of modeling, you know, uh, again, that, that's tricky. And, and I, I'm going to go against the norm, you know, of, of what the show is really about, which is, you know, some of the girls who didn't win, you know, went on and had huge careers. We look at Yaya. Uh, we look at Anna Lee, uh, you know, who's, you know, this big actor, actress. But then, I mean, even Eva, who did win, you know, went on and had a big career. So, you know, there. I just am so happy that I got to see and work with, you know, these young women as they were stepping out into their careers. So I don't really have like a favorite favorite, although Anne from season three would probably punch me if I didn't say her because her and I are, are still friends oh. to this day. So I guess I'll say Anne. Did you watch, uh, you mentioned Eva, did you watch The Real Housewives of Atlanta at all? I didn't. I haven't watched since she has been on. So I, I, I can't even yeah. comment about, yeah. Um, you mentioned working with all of these women, but you were um, one of the very few prominent gay men on television at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember watching you as a kid and, and of course thinking, Did you Oh my as a God. Kid, so now I'm old. Well, no, 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 <laughs> no. But I, I think you influenced so many young gay men like myself, just uh, being visible on television. Did you feel any of that pressure or were you just there to do your job? Does that make sense? I know. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I've heard that from several people and I, I'm glad that, they could kind of see me as like, oh, wow, you know, he's on television, he's gay, he's just doing his job. I always looked at my job on America's Next Top Model as I'm just doing me because, you know, it, I, I, I kind of was always raised that way. I, I, I you know, because in, in, in many respects, it's weird because I'm also, I'm biracial. People think I'm Spanish, but like I was never really for some people, I wasn't black enough to be black. I'm not white. And, and so I kind of was just, my parents always raised me just to be me. So when, you know, I became a part of the show, I just thought, well, I'm just going to do the best job I can. But I love that there, I've heard many stories from people saying, wow, I watched you and I knew that I could do this or do that or be an influencer. And I did talk about my this is something people don't know. There were times where I felt it was important to talk about my sexuality, which I've never really done before. And I did it on the show, especially with contestants like Kim, where I said to her, you know, what you're doing and at your age, I could never have done at your Mm -hmm. age and how you're like, I was basically Mm -hmm. trying to explain to her how she was a role model to me because of just looking at what she was doing. But that was always cut out. And I don't know if that was ever intentional um, or not, but, uh, you know, I'm glad that I could kind of be that for, for several people. Right. Uh, it's frustrating that it was cut out, but I, I, I thank you because I remember watching as just a closeted gay boy in Ohio and yeah. Oh, cool. Um, do you, were you on set for the Tiffany moment, the be quiet Tiffany? 
I was on, I wasn't on camera, but I absolutely was in the judging room when that went down. Okay. So Jay, take me through, like, what were you feeling watching it? Like, what were you laughing? Were you cringing? Like, what was the vibe? Oh, no. Uh, I, I noticed my book is called The Meltdown. The main right. title part is The Meltdown, uh, which, by the way, in my book, there is a, a chapter called Meltdown. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's in where the main story is. And uh, I'll say it is absolutely... I, I mean, I can't deny it. It is inspired by that moment with very different circumstances around, for sure. Um, that moment was 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 freaked everybody out. Um, I know for a fact, Nigel has said to me, uh, he says, still to this moment, if he ever sees that clip, it's a little moment of like, kind of like PTSD for him, I guess. Like, you know, he gets goosebumps because it was scary. It was, um, I mean, I certainly had known Tyra for years and we had a friendship and before Top Model, I'd never really seen a moment like that. And my opinion of that moment, um, because there are a lot of factors that kind of created that moment, um, I didn't see Tiffany's reaction as it played out in real time, not edited reality time. I didn't see her reaction to what was going on as so bad. She just kind of said, okay, well, we're going home. And that's it. She hugged the girl. She said, don't cry for me. Um, I do know Tyra has said she felt in that moment, because I'm just paraphrasing her own words, that she was so disappointed that Tiffany had given up. But that's not how Tiffany saw it. But there were so many other things going on and that moment went way out of control. And a lot of people have talked about it and there are articles online where there are lines, other things that were said um, that are not in the episode and they weren't pleasant. Um, and that was hard to watch, it really was. Uh, forgive me, I don't. So there was uh, way more to the footage than we saw, is, oh. is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. yeah. Was oh, there yeah. one specific line or something that you remember that was maybe <laughs> cut out? Is that a, an inappropriate question? There, well, it's a hard question to answer <laughs> because there are, um, yeah, there are lines that have. I mean, there, there, there's been very reputable press that has reported other lines. Um, I'm always very cautious about that moment because there there are definitely there were there are things that were said in the heat of that argument that are kind of burned into my mind that are really really uncomfortable um and uh yeah like from Tyra just, from Tyra or from Yeah from, from I'll Tyra. be honest it was from her and I was um a couple of them are reported online and they are accurate and the reason I don't repeat them, to be honest with you, it's just like this weird sense of honestly, it's like, what's going to come down? Right. I mean, I know this sounds strange. You know, here I'm writing this book, which again is fiction, but it is inspired by my whole experience. I know there's going to be a lot of kind of eyebrows raised around that. And it took a lot of kind of courage to even write a book that's just inspired by that experience. But there is still this odd fear of what's going to come down on you because there was a lot of that power struggle play there was a there was a producer on the show that used to walk around early on to all everyone on the show saying oh well you know well we're all replaceable all of us including tyra so you know it was this sense of threat mm -hmm. and fear not that we because we were all doing our jobs we loved what we did but there was always this fear placed 
in front of us around our fate in the show. Everyone felt it. Producers felt it. People, have, we've talked about it now. It became a very toxic environment. And I've worked on several other shows, other networks, live TV, and I've never experienced the experience that that show turned into. Why? What do you think, what do you attribute that to? Was it just the people who were in charge or? I think it was a combination of a couple of people. I think it was also insecurities, you know, like a lot of shows, there's, there are insecurities. I mean, I can't speak for what other people were going through in their minds. Um, again, even with my book, you know, again, it, it, it is fiction, but I'm, I'm writing from an experience through a very specific lens. And it would be kind of, you know, that POV, you know, you can't really, you know, show everything. But I, yeah, absolutely. It was, it became a very uncomfortable scenario. And one of the things that I'll I'll tell you, uh, Danny, is, and I've never talked about this, and it actually makes me a little scared to talk about it. Uh, People, there is one thing that people don't know, and and that is that after cycle eight, when we shot in Australia, um, I made the really difficult decision to actually leave the show. Oh. Um, my contract was up. Um, we, re- we had reno- renegotiated like four at a time. I've never talked about this publicly ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it is important to talk about it now because, uh, you know, people are starting to ask, well, if you were so uncomfortable, why didn't you leave? Why didn't you speak up? Well, actually I did leave. Oh. And I, I, and because Tyra and I had such a longstanding relationship, we had an agreement you know, we'll never talk to our people, like agents and attorneys and all that stuff. So I reached out to her. You know, I take a deep breath as I say this. Oh my God. I reached out to her and I said, um, you know, I, I was now working on E as a correspondent. I was hosting and executive producing Canada's Exhaust Model and on another show for, for Style that I hosted. And I said, you know, it's really difficult schedule-wise. And I think I've done all that I can bring to the show. So I'm not going to renegotiate you know, for another four seasons. And, um, you know, in the moment, she was very, you know, very calm. She just said, I'm very disappointed. That was it. Nothing else was said. And I, she probably had to process, I can look at it as an adult now and go, she had to process that because I know she really leaned on me and relied on me. And so she was, you know, upset. I mean, it was between seasons. So they had three and a half months I do know that they cast or, or tried to screen test some very, you know, um, notable fashion personalities to come on and creative direct. Um, that being said, two weeks out of production for cycle nine, I got a call with my, my, from my then attorney. I was in the midst of changing teams and Switching. I was going to CAA and, but I had a different attorney at the time and he called and said, um, they are two weeks out of production. They would, they couldn't find anyone to kind of fill my shoes. They asked if I could come back and do one season. Mm. Um, unfortunately, I had other uh, a job, uh, another job lined up, and I said I, I don't think I can do it schedule wise. And he called me back two hours later. I'm having so much anxiety telling oh the story, Jay. but uh, I mean, really, truly. Uh, so basically, they said and and. Uh, to summarize, basically they said, you know, they would really like it if I could come back and do one cycle because I, it was implied through the person telling me that I really might not be able to work for that major studio again if I could not. Is oh what my gosh. Was implied. So right. 
And we know in the industry, we have hear of all of these stories, especially with everything coming out now around blacklisting and this and that, which goes on. Right. And I was so afraid, you uh. know, I'd had a sec of such a successful career in the business before going on TV. And I was really trying to transition. So it really put the fear, like, like serious fear in me. And I was scared. And so I canceled the other opportunity I was working on. I went back. I was assured everything would be fine. The producers spoke to me on the phone. They were like, this is great. You're back. Everything will be great. That was the, the cycle nine. We actually did the casting on a cruise ship. It was horrible to shoot on a cruise ship. I can't even tell you. And I, I hate a up, cruise I, ship, by the way. But <laughs> okay. Neither here. I hate a cruise ship. Go ahead. <laughs> but I showed up. Uh, I'm because of the the taping and the timing of me getting there. I got there a day late. I normally do the welcome with Miss J. And uh, I'm sorry if I'm telling you too much detail. No, I please. There's so much anxiety. No, 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 no. This. <laughs> no I'm uh, um, just loving listening. Go ahead. Basically, uh, I showed up. Uh, they'd already taped the welcome. So the first day of taping for all of us was, you know, the panel that we do. We do it over a series of days where we interview all the one of the, the 30 girls. Basically, I remember it. I remember it like it was yesterday, to be honest with you. I walked in the room and I hadn't spoken to Tyra up until this point since I said I was leaving the show. So it was, I knew it was going to be somewhat of an awkward moment, but everyone assured me everything was fine. The other producers... The other executive producers were lovely. I thought it was going to be normal. Oh, she walked in and I said, oh, I'm so glad we get a moment to talk before we shoot. And she kept walking. And I thought maybe she didn't hear me, but I knew she heard me. I've never talked about this. <laughs> um, and yeah, I was really kind of hurt and petrified all in one. I didn't want to be there. and. Uh, I sat down. I tried to understand where she was coming from. I hadn't done anything that I felt to hurt her. She was clearly upset. She's also the executive producer, one of the executive producers on the show. She sat down next to me, and when they rolled, started rolling cameras, Tyra came alive. Mm -hmm. Mr. J, Miss J, blah, blah, blah. Everything was normal, and everything was normal on camera that whole season, but when the cameras turned off, she did not want to speak with me. Uh. And uh, I'm like shaking telling the story because I thought I would never tell the story. And it's Sorry. not in my book because my book again is fiction, but it was, it was terrible. And I only ended up speaking with her two days before we shot, we were in China shooting at the great wall where she was going to be the photographer. And I got a call to, if I would come by her room to chat. And that's when we had a talk. And to, to be fair, she did say, you know, I, I've, I have to apologize because I, I'm an executive producer here, your talent on this show, um, because that one-off cycle I wasn't producing like I had okay. before. And uh, she said, um, I've been unprofessional. And oh. she apologized. But from then on, it was just, it was, it was, it was uncomfortable. And we weren't who we were, right. but we had to be who we were on camera because right. of what the fans knew. And, and that's the reality of that moment. What strikes me is how, um, how upsetting it is just hearing you even so hesitant to talk about something like that, because I feel like so many people in so many different ways feel, uh, 
feel afraid to talk about something because of the power dynamics in in mm-hmm. a working environment not not only in television or film but also uh, throughout you know throughout the world yeah. in a fact I was talking to a friend who works in a factory and she was saying she had a similar experience where it was like the office because there's the office and then there's the factory and mm-hmm. uh, she said for years she just felt like she couldn't tell her story at all and I just think that's so common and it 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 makes me just so sad that even so many years later, somebody can feel power, powerless. Well, I th- yeah, I and I, to sense. be honest with you, I've moved on from it. And sure. as an adult, I mean, I'm 47 now, I can look and understand what she might have been going through. I mean, even when I was writing my characters in my book, I wanted them to be 360 characters mm-hmm. and, and really dialed into the psychology of why characters do what they do. And I, I actually interviewed... Uh, a couple different psychologists and and talk to them about some of this, you know, like what would someone really do if this is, or what's the reason why they're doing X or Y? And so I can look at that moment and be separate from it. I think what makes me a little nervous and anxious about it and is that I am telling it <laughs> or speaking it out loud. Um, and and the reason I'm, I felt like I wanted to share with you is just, the way the conversation was going. And I know people are trying to wrap their minds around why I wrote this book. Uh, again, it's fun. It is satire. Sure. I poke fun at myself, even though the protagonist really isn't me. Parts of him are, are inspired by me. And, you know, but there, it, I, I realized even in publishing the book, and, and even when I was going out meeting with publishers, there was this level of anxiety of like, what's going to be the retribution? What's going to be the blowback? What's going to be, because there always was, there was always this idea of punishment. And I'm not the only one to say it. You can, there are so many producers, co-EPs who left the show. Um, They feel the same way. Um, It was not a great environment. But on the flip side, it was really a phenomenal ride to be a part of a global phenomenon. And there were magical moments and there were great moments. It wasn't all terrible. I mean, it's like a a relationship, right? Like even a a romantic relationship, you can look back and say there were these great, wonderful moments. And then there were also these, these awful moments. You posted on Instagram, actually, that through writing the book, you lost people close to you. Mm. Who were, were you referring to? people on the show or no no actually um i didn't i I recently posted that actually yes i (laughs) i think i also go on to say it's like writing a book is almost a form of quarantine it really is i I did write the book myself i had a great writing mentor but i did not have a ghostwriter and i i had done writing when i was at nyu but i by by no means had a creative right you know you know, bachelor's in creative writing or anything like that. And so I worked very hard on the writing and I know I had to buckle down and lock myself away. So I'd say, you know, especially the end of 2018, beginning of 2019 or like in through the summer, I literally would shut my phone off and have my alerts off on my computer and I had to isolate to write. And it was amazing because I found myself, I found, and I found a level of joy and fulfillment I've never had and that was really incredible. But there were friends and people close to me that didn't understand that. And I tend, I try to be there for people. And there were people who felt that I kind of a, 
abandoned them in my process. And it was really sad and, and, and painful. They, they didn't fully understand it. And, um, and there are still, there's some relationships repaired, uh, but it, it's still not a hundred percent the same, which is sad. You know, I'm a ghostwriter myself. I write books for other people and, um, it's a lot of work to write a book like this. So if you weren't working with a ghostwriter, like there's a lot of fucking words in a book and it's yes. a lot of time to do it. So I completely yeah. get it. And I, I don't think people understand, uh, you know, oftentimes even just friends will be like, I have this idea for a book. And I'm like, you don't realize how many words are in a book. Like it's a book. Lot. And then it's rewriting. Right. And, and writing really is rewriting. And right. what I ended up loving, to be honest with you, is when I would dive into every draft, um, I was I would be like renewed, reborn in some way, and 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 you do things like character passes, like I'm going to look just at Keisha's lines or Pablo's lines, and the dialogue, and 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 really getting into those characters, and it's it's a lot of fun, and then you have to also go back and look at your you know narrative prose and that writing, and how it does is that the voice that you want, and it, and it took me a few drafts to find the voice I wanted for this book because I wanted it to be. Um, kind of more of this generation. I didn't want it to read a little more classic. Uh, I, I don't know. I had to just find that voice and I, I hopefully I, I did a good job. Yeah. Uh, and every time you change one little detail about a character, you have to go through and reread and rewrite the whole thing. It's like hours just yeah. to make, when you make one change. Okay. Yes. Um, the book opens with uh, a quote, your quote, it's the world of reality TV is not real. And yet reality television has morphed into reality. I've worked in this world of smoke and mirrors. And when the smoke dissipates, the mirror reflects the truth. Uh, I'm curious if you could explain that a little bit more and, and maybe what you learned about um, reality television and, and sort of the art of it or the, uh, or what you learned yeah. about it. Well, I, th- that, that quote that I put right before chapter one, um, uh, ultimately when, when one finishes the book, you realize that quote has several meanings, but the obvious being reality TV, we know, I think now pretty much, uh, people know it's, 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 it's a product of careful editing, the right casting, the right scenarios. So it's not real. But what I was making a point of, uh, which is a pretty kind of scary commentary on where we are as a society and, and looking at social media, because reality TV is really the birth mother of social media to an extent. And we now cover ourselves and shoot things. And it's like, here, I'm going to put out what is not me and love me for this. What does that do to the human spirit? And where's the truth in that? We're no longer sharing our truths. And then we're, you know, and before quarantine, you know, everybody was, you know, the stories and the pics and the this and that, and it was so orchestrated. And so that, that's what I was saying. But beyond that, there's another layer, which is a reveal at the end of the book um, that kind of speaks to that idea of what's real and what's not. And, and we really need to start looking. It's kind of like in the matrix film that, you know, that whole analogy with uh, Neo, are you looking at me? Or are you looking at the woman in the red dress and the training simulation? And we love to be titillated by the woman in the red dress uh, and we stop looking at what's real. And, and we have to get back to a point where we need to start looking at the real issues, which I think is what's coming out of this quarantine and all the civil rights issues right now, um, which need to be dealt with, um, because we're going to turn around and see that kind of gun of extinction, extinction almost turn back at us if we don't pay attention. 
You know, I'm, I didn't have this question written down, so forgive me if it's a bit wordy, but uh, this was one of the few, uh, America's Next Top Model is one of the few shows that was front, fronted by a Black woman. And you had yes. mentioned, you had seen some of the, um, earlier in the interview, you had mentioned something about, um, about seeing how uh, Black women are treated in the industry. I'm curious. Oh, it's one of the core themes in my book, which is looking at intersectionality in general and how the entertainment industry deals with Black women's identity within entertainment and television. Yes. Right. So what did you learn about that? What can you share? Well, you, kind of the way I frame it, you know, with, with my, my book, obviously, Keisha Cash is a, is a Black supermodel. Um, and as a side note, you know, someone I really respected early on in my this process had suggested that I make Keisha maybe Kirsten and make her white. Mm. You know, you don't want it to be too close. And I said, well, it's not about close or not close because even your statement, that statement is actually racist because okay. Keisha is not Tyra. And now you're saying just because my character is black, that that means it's Tyra that in itself is racist. And that's also saying that I can't have a black antagonist. That was the same thing we used to do to women, you know, 10 and 15 years ago in television, you know, the, the, the anti-hero, the, the complex character, it was always reserved for straight white males. Women had to play the female role. And then we got great characters like, you know, uh, um, Claire Underwood in House of Cards, where she could be complex and devious, uh, or even uh, Viola Davis in, as Annalise Keating in How to Get Away with Murder. You know, here's a woman, we loved her, she was powerful, she was amazing, and then we don't like her, then we don't trust her. But these complex characters, you can have a Black lead. And, and think of all of the amazing roles we're creating for actors if these get turned into films, et cetera, for Black actors. And that's how you, we have to not be afraid of in, being inclusive in that way. But But to your original question there, um, around this idea of, of Black women's identity. And, and what I did with, what I learned and what I did with Keisha is I wanted to show she's a diamond. She was created under pressure. She's a flawed diamond, but she was created under pressure, just how di- how coal creates a diamond. Uh, and, and within an industry that's run predominantly by men, white men, uh, and, and we're talking about the entertainment and fashion industry, and in, an in- the fashion industry specifically, when it comes to beauty and everything, not just fashion, but the beauty industry as well, everything's geared towards that white aesthetic. And what does that do? And how does that affect a black woman within the industry trying to rise up who has to kind of bridge, you know, be this kind of token of representing a group of individuals, but at the same time, bridging that gap to that white aesthetic. And what does that do psychologically in terms of understanding your worth? Um, Because you're already told by an industry that you're subpar, but now you've got to be the leader in it. And and I really, even though my book, again, is meant to be a lot of fun, there is that subtext of like, hey, let's look at this because it, it might also explain why people do what they do when they're put in a pressure situation because what are they facing every day right it's so interesting i I was just having a conversation with a friend about representation uh and television specifically but it kind of goes for all of the industries and there's a new show on netflix called the babysitters club and we were saying how it's of course based off the books from the uh, 80s and 90s but Mm -hmm. we were saying it's like oh now hollywood will do um a show about a group of young women 
and then they'll say, okay, we have one show, so that's enough. And it's like, mm-hmm. we, we gave them one thing and that's enough. Yeah. And it's like, we need to have these uh, the representation. There, there isn't a limit to how many uh, black women we should have on TV or. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. And to Tyra's credit, you know, she broke down. I mean, she will, I will always respect her immensely for what she represents to so many. She was the first black woman on the cover of Sports Illustrated, you know, the first black woman, you know, to do several things. And even with this show, you know, no one expected it to become that global phenomenon. And, you know, it became a mainstream show where people didn't say, oh, well, there's a black supermodel. They have Miss J. They had me, which no one knew what I was, you know, it's like, but we were this diverse kind of panel of, of individuals, but we all worked in this business and, and it was accepted. So huge. I mean, it's yeah. a huge accomplishment. Look, the weather's getting warmer. You got to ditch the jackets, the sweaters, and you got to put on some shorts and tees. And if you're anything like me, you hate getting all the new stuff. But luckily, I've found Quince, and Quince makes it so easy uh, to get clothes. I used to waste my money on clothes that would only last one season. That was until I found out about Quince. Now I've got high-quality pieces that never go out of style that I'll be wearing year after year. Quince has all of the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos. Those are my personal favorite. I always love getting new polos for the summertime, and they have a fantastic selection. I'm very particular about the collar, and I love the collar on the performance polos that I got. They also have versatile flow-knit activewear, and the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes, which I love. Feel good about shopping with them. Now, again, I got those polos, but I also got some shorts, some t-shirts, just some basics that I can wear year-round. So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash iconic for free shipping on your order and 300 365-day returns. That's quince, Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash iconic to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash iconic. All right. I'm sure a lot of you out there can relate because every time there's a commercial break and I'm watching one of my shows, I'm always hopping on the Redfin app or website because I just want to check out real estate listings. Like I love checking out real estate listing, even for the houses that I cannot afford. It's my favorite app to use Redfin. Uh, I just got a home, of course, but it was a pretty stressful process. And if I would have known how easy Redfin was, I think it would have helped out a lot. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. See something you like? Well, book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process, making it so easy. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents with a listing fee as low as 1%. Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards your next home. Now, that's a great thing. I love using Redfin. I love checking out. If you're buying or selling a home and you need some help with that, check out Redfin. Download the Redfin app to get started. I, I know I'm keeping you too long. I hope you don't mind. I, oh, I, don't, I don't mind. I love, okay. I love chatting okay. with you. <laughs> okay, good. Um, I have a couple of questions. So we have an Everything Iconic Patreon page, and so they sent in some questions. So uh, okay. Kim, Kim Jacob wants to know what your favorite photo shoot was throughout the years. Did you have a fave? Oh, gosh, this is so hard. And I'm going to forget probably 
so many of them. I, if I had to pick one of them, oh gosh, there's just so many I really enjoyed. Um, it's like trying to pick which of your babies you <laughs> love the most. Um, uh, oh, you, I, you know what one was was fun and 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 super creative. Uh, was the the zodiac shoot uh, and and um, it's just creatively to me it was really fun figuring out how to build those you know the, those concepts out so I did love doing the zodiac shoot and and just the creative team I had around me and they just saw the vision um, so but that's it's so hard to choose there are so many what's mm-hmm. your favorite. Um, I, I don't, I, you know, I'm just thinking of all of the viral moments. That's what's coming into my mind of like what, um, and, and I'm curious, is there one that makes you laugh? Like the thing that's popping up in my mind is of course, when Tyra like pretends she's sick and like faints, um, in front yeah, of a, that wasn't a photo shoot, right? It wasn't a photo shoot, but I'm saying like, yeah. is there one, is there one like of those moment? kind of moments that you see like in a meme or something that just makes you laugh or you have a, a good memory behind it? I, of course, the Tiffany moment is what's shared Tiffany. all the time. But Yeah, a lot of people share the jade in that commercial, the CoverGirl commercial, where she had to add liberal whole way. And oh, she right. was just <laughs> super crazy. There was that. But for me, one of the crazy moments was when we were supposed to do a makeovers reveal. I believe it's in cycle 11. Yes, cycle 11. And Tyra shows up to have a chat with the girls, having pizza and blah, blah, blah. And then she's going to tell them makeovers. But then in rolls Miss J looking like the, like, um, like the, the, like the evil witch. Like she goes, apples, apples. And Tyra eats an apple like Snow White and <laughs> faints. And then I come around the corner as a prince and a prince get up and I have to kiss her, revive her and pick her up and carry her away. She was so afraid I was going to drop her. She said, don't drop me. So I had to like pick her up and like carry her out. That's like one of those corny moments where I'm like, oh God, I uh, we did that. Some of those moments are so funny. Like I, I love when those clips uh, <laughs> pop up. Uh, yeah. Emma Brumfield wants to know how much input you had in the makeover choices. Uh, you must have seen a bunch that you thought that was the wrong choice. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, um, you know, everyone wanted our opinions, especially the first couple of seasons. And then... Uh, they didn't really want our opinion so much on the makeovers. Uh, I absolutely spoke up when I didn't agree with something. Um, there have been, and it was on camera. I mean, we we talked very vocally about JL, you know, rest in peace. She's no longer with us, but um, she got this really bad weave. And we just said right then and there, it's not working. This is terrible. It's awful. I called Tyra on the phone. You know, so sometimes you have to speak up. I mean, I, I just couldn't let some of them go by and sure. some of them you just kind of just stand there and just go with it. Yeah, like what the hell happened? Did you watch oh. the seasons after you left? Did you watch like the guy seasons? I remember they did. I did not watch any of the seasons after cycle 18. And that's the honest answer. I never, I had done 18 seasons of it. I produced on that show. I kind of felt, and 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 I... Again, I, that was a choice of mine to leave the show at cycle 18, um, which was misreported in the press at the time. But I kind of felt like watching it would kind of be weird for me emotionally. Feel, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Did you feel yeah. afraid to even speak up at that time when the press was reporting that? Well, uh, we weren't. Our contracts were very, very 
prohibitive. We right. weren't allowed to talk about it. I mean, even when I knew cycle 18, see, they want, I was, we, we were supposed, I was asked to renegotiate cycles 17, 18, 19, 20. I said, I couldn't do it. I said, I would do one. We settled on two. So that was 17 and 18. And I knew I wasn't going to go back for 19 or 20. But you think about when we shoot it in the fall and it airs in the spring, they don't want someone coming out saying, I left sure. the show. So I wasn't supposed to say anything. We all agreed. And I'm going to say Tyra, Ken Mock, we all agreed. We were on a conference call. We were going to do a joint press release. It was going to be an amicable, part, amicable parting, blah, blah, blah. And then there was a leak, uh, you know, um, which was all planted. Um, From production, probably. <laughs> yeah, well, we kind of found out who. I won't throw that person under the bus. I have probably a little more class than that person did in, in, in action because we found out actually who leaked that. Um, but it was all to kind of create drama to say that Jay, myself, and Nigel were fired. But anyway, I just kind of felt like it was, I didn't need to watch it after that and moved would on. You, would you go back? I know there's been rumors about there being a, like a 25th cycle. Is there any chance you would be like, yeah, I'll do that? If they asked. <laughs> um, well, I don't know if they'll ask. You know, my book, I think, has some people nervous. Again, it's fiction, but they should, though. They need you back. They should do it. <laughs> um, you know, if it was a very different show, I don't think they can do the show the way it was. And I would love to be a part of something that's constructive, entertaining. Uh, but I think if the show was to come back pretty much like a version of what it was, I probably would not do it, unfortunately. Because, yeah. Uh, I know you had mentioned in the press you and Tyra haven't spoken. I, I believe you said you had emailed in 2017, but that was about it. Do you? No, ent- I saw her in person in 2017, actually. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, um, yeah. So, and she emailed you, me right after. Yeah. Do you? Uh, will you reach out at all uh, now that the book's out? Do you, Do you think she might reach out? Like, do you think you guys <laughs> could reconcile a little bit more? Or? Um, she has not reached out to date. Uh, since my book is announced, I'm assuming she knows about it. I, it's kind of been talked about kind of around the world. Um, you know, if she wanted to talk about it, I'd love to, um, you know, the book is not written from any place of malice or negativity. Um, like I, I really do respect and care about her well-being still to this day. Um, but I, I, I don't know things there, there, there were so many kind of weird and uncomfortable moments, even post that whole cycle. I went back cycle nine and then obviously I went back to the show for period after there were some other really uncomfortable moments. So I don't really know if we can have kind of the relationship we had before. Uh, I I'm not sure of that. Um, just, I mean, if we could really talk and communicate maybe, but who knows? I just, I don't know if, that's a real possibility. Right. Well, Jay, I just finally have some lightning round questions for you. These are real okay. easy, just pop culture related. Um, what's your favorite rom-com? Notting Hill. Oh, a classic. I'm just a boy, yeah. sta- or I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy. Oh, so Asking good. him to love me. Isn't yeah. that not the best? It's the best. That's fine. Uh, Brittany or Christina? Oh my God, are you kidding? Oh, Christina. Yeah. Uh, Madonna <laughs> or Cher? um, Madonna. Favorite uh, Mariah Carey song? Hero. Mm, Classic. Um, Do you have an all-time favorite book? 
besides your own? Novel or nonfiction? Either or. Uh, or maybe like a childhood book, something that you loved as a kid. Well, The Giving Tree was the kid. Mm. This is the book I loved as a kid. And as an adult, it really, um, the book that changed my life was Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. Mm, yeah. Right, and, right. I, and I actually wrote him after I read that book and he responded and it was profound. It was profound. I love that. Uh, if you were choosing uh, People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive, who would you choose? Oh my God, today? Oh, Sexiest Man Alive. There's just, oh my God, that's hard. <laughs> like, a, like an actor or a musician or? Well, it usually is an actor, right, right. usually, right? Or, or it has been a musician in the past. So Sexiest Man Alive, who hasn't right. been the Sexiest Man Alive before? That's hard. Um, oh, gosh. Well, I kind of have two, but I don't, I don't Throw know. Throw them at me. Throw them at me. They're, Who are they? So they're kind of two. I guess they're both, they're very telling because they're like quasi crushes of mine. So I'm like totally blowing myself up right here. So I would say Idris Elba or Patrick Wilson, either uh, or. Both are fantastic right? options. Don't you think yeah, both yeah. of them would be oh, yeah. great? Maybe we do a yeah. tie. Did you, I just rewatched um, the movie Little Children. He is like, stunning in that i mean he's stunning all the time patrick wilson but like in that movie oh i know did you watch did you rewatch like the the laundry room scene specifically of course yeah, yeah. of it's course saved on oh, my yeah, computer kinda, that scene yeah you kind of have to pause <laughs> on that scene <laughs> um who's who's the greatest who do you think is the greatest model of all time like is there one model that you think not from top model necessarily but just a classic model, supermodel classic supermodel of all time Wow, that's a really, really, really hard question. I mean, and there's just, just so many brilliant women supermodels. I, I you know, I, you know, I'm gonna just say, and 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 uh, maybe because she's a fellow Canadian, and I watched her rise was Linda Evangelista, one of the one of the big supermodels. I'm gonna say her because she grew up not that far from me. And before she was Linda Evangelista, she used to have long hair. And I used to see her in like, um, um, like there's a, a department store called The Bay and they, they had like ads with her like early, early, early on in her career before she broke. And so to see her go on the national stage like that and she was like epic. So I used to love her. I still do. Uh, Kelly Catrone, thoughts? I love her. I know you just did an interview with her. I like, I'm obsessed with Kelly Catron. Kelly, Kelly is, um, she's a lot of fun. I mean, I love how, you know, she comes off like she's abrasive and cold and this and, and awkward, kind of like Wednesday Adams, you know, all in black. But you know what? I've had some really, really great times with Kelly Catron where she's invited me to an event that she was, you know, putting on. And Kelly really has this big, big heart. She really does have a big heart. And I love how she can just be like truly just be herself with you. And, and, and she's just no nonsense. So she's right. no bullshit. So yeah. I miss her presence on TV because I feel like she more than anyone else from television history, I feel like she's the best at being no nonsense. And I just want her to like yell at Keeping me. Keeping it real. Right, yeah. right. She's great yeah. as like a, she's great on a judging panel. Yeah. Um, Jay, this was so fun. I want to encourage everyone to get the book. Um, the meltdown. I, I might be backwards, but um, everyone needs to get it. I can't wait to read it. I haven't read it yet. I, I'm so excited to dive in. And I thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Thank you. Uh, where can people find you on social media? 
I, my, I'm, I'm my, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm Mr. J Manuel, M-R-J-A-Y-M-A-N-U-E-L. Um, and yeah, on Facebook, J Manuel official. And yeah, any, everything about my book, The Wig, the Bitch and the Meltdown is on my website, which is just jmanuel.com. And the book is available everywhere books are sold. And is there an audio book as well? Uh, it is oh. in the works. Oh my God, it so exciting. It is in the works, which is exciting. So that is in the works right now. Well, Jay, thank you so much for stopping by Everything Iconic. I want to encourage everyone to subscribe, like, comment on the YouTube channel. And then uh, thank you to everyone who's subscribing on the podcast. I love you guys. Jay, thank you. Um, and uh, congratulations on the book. It's such a huge accomplishment. I know it's so much work. Tell those friends who are pissed at you, um, <laughs> fuck off, because it's a lot of work to write a book. <laughs> it is, it is, it is. Thank it's you so exciting. much, Jay. Bye-bye. love decorating the house and getting furniture, but sometimes it could be overwhelming to design a space. And so luckily I'm here to tell you about a company called Cozy. Now Cozy is fantastic, a North American company that thoughtfully designs furniture made for modern living. Now Cozy strives to provide the best furniture shopping experience with elegant, super high quality products, plus fast delivery and easy assembly, which is really important to me because I do not like putting together furniture. So the easier, the better for me. Now Cozy offers beautiful, customizable sofas and sectionals that are made to adapt in time. This means customers can add seats to the sofas over time. Maybe if you're extending your family, you might want more space on the couch. Cozy also offers a great range of coffee tables, washable rugs, wall shelving, credenzas, TV stands, and accessories. So much. It's thoughtfully designed furniture made for modern living. There's an outdoor sofa and tables collection that is fantastic. It's called the Mistral. So you can choose the perfect sofa configuration for your outdoor setup. Uh, Cozy also opened its first retail space on Queen Street in Toronto to push the experience to the next level and allow customers to engage physically with the products. So transform your living space today with Cozy. Visit Cozy.com, spelled C-O-Z-E-Y, to start customizing your furniture today. Again, that's Cozy, C-O-Z-E-Y.com.